Hi everyone, and welcome to COVID Around the World, the podcast dedicated to connecting with Fairfield University's international partners during COVID-19. My name is Diana Motaba, and I'll be your host for today. In this episode, our segment will be focusing on the impact of border closures on merchants and their livelihoods due to COVID-19 lockdowns. The person we'll be speaking with is a former university economics professor who currently works as a precious stone miner and trader. Before we begin, I will give you a brief overview of the country of interest. Zambia is a landlocked country in southern central Africa, surrounded by the Democratic Republic of of Congo to the north, Tanzania to the northeast, Malawi to the east, Mozambique to the southwest, and Zimbabwe, Botswana, and Namibia to the south. Zambia is a country filled with awe-inspiring natural wonders, an abundance of wildlife, huge water bodies, and vast open spaces. Aside from its geography, Zambia hosts some of the most peaceful and welcoming populations in the world. This is not an ad to visit the country, but rather to shed some light on one of the many countries in the world. And with that, I believe we can begin the interview. For a number of reasons, our interviewee, Ms. Purity Kutule, was unable to appear on the podcast, but her responses will be read out by Kenise Coker. Ms. Kutule, can you explain your current profession? Yes, I'm a precious stone trader. I work with many small-scale miners to sell their stones, usually to jewelers or just people. Thank you. My first question is, what is the informal cross-border trade, or called the ICBT for short? The definition is rather loose, but essentially it's the trade that happens outside of formal channels, which are typically enforced by custom authorities. This could be the trade of raw or processed goods, and entry, exit, or both could be illegal. The goods could exit the source illegally and enter the target country illegally, or vice versa. Or both border crossings could be illegal. Why is the informal cross-border trade important to Africa? Because it contributes income, provides jobs, and empowers women in some of the most fragile and impoverished communities on the continent. Many countries in Africa are still developing. Some governments are not able to provide financial support to a citizen. The ICBT allows people to make a living. In terms of Zambia, how important is the cross-border trade to the country's economy? Zambia has done great for itself in the last few decades, partially because of the trade. The trade is both formal and informal. Zambia both imports and exports many goods throughout its borders. And its strategic location is a part of the reason. As you mentioned, it is heavily bordered at all sides, yes? Yes, with the Democratic of Congo to the north, Tanzania to the northeast, Malawi to the east, Mozambique to the southwest, Zimbabwe, Botswana, and Namibia to the south. All of those countries are great partners for the government to trade with and even the small-time traders. As you know, Zambia is known for its copper, which it trades with other countries all over the world, which need and lack copper. This importing business has helped the government develop Zambia to where it is today. To further my question, one of Zambia's most frequented border crossings is the Nakonde border between Zambia and Tanzania. 
Do you happen to know the most transported goods between the two countries? The answer would depend on if you're looking at the ICBT traders or the government official exports. I believe you're asking about the ICBT traders. Yes, I am. So in that case, I don't really know. Informal traders make it hard to have any concrete numbers on the trade because they might enter into Tanzania but slip into Kenya with other goods and sell them to on their journey. If you wanted to find the numbers, I would say look at each population. Each population is lacking in their home countries. Sometimes it's just food or entertainment. At some point in the early 90s, Zambians were obsessed with Bollywood movies, which were on CDs. CDs were a big market. Who are the intended buyers by the traders? The market is divided into individuals, informal businesses, and formal businesses. It really depends on what the merchant is selling. For example, the Maasai tribe in Kenya makes beautiful beaded slippers, which are then brought to Zambia and sold in the market or through the merchants making trips to buyers' home. So what would you say the democratic demographic of the traders? In other words, are they mostly men, women, young, old, educated, or uneducated? I can't say for certain, but in my travels, I have mostly seen women. Some Zambians have moved away from the livelihood farming. Some who can't or don't want to farm sell, and their husband work other jobs. It's funny because your observation is very close to the official numbers given by the African Development Bank, which says that the majority of traders are women. They put it at about 60 to 70%, although other sources estimate that the numbers are even higher. Why do you think that there are so many women trading? I think it's because many women could not find other jobs. These women are not educated or wealthy, sometimes unmarried, so it's easier for them to slip in between borders to buy and sell products. Women also tend to buy things that other women will like, like clothes from Congo or leaves from Namibia or bangles from Tanzania. It's a surprise to me that there are more women than traders actually. The only reason I say that is because women face so many obstacles in society even when they work from home. What dangers or obstacles do women face being traders? Zambia is still a patriarchal society. Even though many people left their home villages and their culture, men still want to dominate in school and workplaces. But yes, they face many dangers simply because they are women. There are reports of sexual assault and harassment during trips. In the case of ICBT, most women are poor, uneducated, so starting a trade is always hard. Most of their family and friends will tell them to stay home and rely on your husband. But what can a woman do when her husband is a drunk and her kids are hungry? She must feed them. Training is difficult. But for many women, it's a good job. But she must be able to collect her money and keep it from her greedy family and friends. Can you explain the last part about collecting and keeping the money for the listeners? The traders don't always have stores or tables in the market. Some of them just have a suitcase which they travel to their clients and 
put it or put it on display when the clients come to their house. They also don't have to pay the same time when they pick up. They can pay over time, which is the responsibility of the merchant to collect her money. Because some families can be bad, they can sometimes take the woman's profits and spend it. A strong woman will fight for her family, for herself, and for her kids. There are many dangers to being a woman trader. So you mentioned sexual assault and harassment. What is the government doing to protect the women? The government is trying to protect the women, but it's hard on the areas the government cannot control. The roots are often hidden and hard for the government to control. But when a case is brought, they prosecute it. There is still so much the government can do, but I believe that they're heading in the right direction. Zambia's State Department closed the Nakonde border on May 10th after a report of 76 cases the previous day. What did the lockdown include? People? Just cargo? Or was it an absolute closure? At first, they closed the border completely. But then they opened it only for cargo. People were not allowed to cross the border. How do you see the impact of the closure on Zambia's economy? I think there might be poverty in Zambia because of this. Traders, especially small traders, are not wealthy, but they eat daily with no income for weeks. But expenses, many of them might not be able to start again. That brings us to our next topic of poverty and stimulus. As we've seen through various examples, when countries are facing some form of disaster, governments tend to use monetary or fiscal policy to stimulate the economy. To know how much stimulus is needed, the governments rely on reputable data to make their decisions. In the case of the pandemic, many countries are putting money into businesses for them to stay open. Zambia has a particular case, though. Because as reported in a study by the Economic Justice Network, about 70% of the Zambian population operates in the informal economy, with no real data on who, what, or where the citizens are. Do you see a way that the government can work around the issue of data and still be able to stimulate the economy to the point that all Zambians receive something? A country is like a business. You have to make money to spend money. With the lockdown, businesses were closed, money was not spent or earned. You see, governments are like businesses. Like you said, 70% of Zambians work in informal businesses. And that is true. The problem with an informal economy is that the government does not collect taxes on the goods and services. If the government is not collecting taxes, they don't have another stream of income. Zambia exports precious minerals, particularly copper, but that is not enough to run the country. They have to make money for the people. In Zambia, most businesses pay almost 35% in taxes when they are registered business. This is very high for many businesses. To your question, Zambia has money to stimulate the economy. But for certain people, the traders might be left out. Not everyone will receive money, but if the government puts money to keep 
the taxpaying businesses open, then they won't fall into a lot of debt or even worse, poverty. You said when they register. Is there another option than registering? Yes, not registering and creating an illegal business. Why would people not want to register? People don't want to register because of the high taxes. You said about 35% tax rate and only 20% of people pay taxes. Those 20 people carry the country, which to many people isn't fair. Why would they when being illegal lets you keep your money? But the government must know that there are more businesses which are not paying taxes. If not the national government, but maybe the local government does? Yes, both governments probably know. The local officials know more. That is how they make their living, through bribing and corruption. They come around every few months and ask for money to keep away the civic centers and their officials. For a note to the listeners, the civic centers is a zombie's way of saying city halls and their officials. And the next question is, how widespread is corruption in Zambia? Just like every country, there is corruption. Zambia has its fair share. But to say that everything is corrupt is wrong. Our government has been really helpful with stopping corruption and fighting for the people. There's still a long way to go, but Zambians are generally safe and protected. You mentioned that you're a precious stone trader. How successful is that sector? It's a successful industry, but it's hard for a Zambian to really make money. Really? With all the mining Zambia does? Why is that? Because the most successful and wealthy miners are West African. They dominate the industry. Do you happen to know why? It has to do with their culture. West Africans love jewelry and are business people. For many years, thousands of men came from West Africa to mine in Zambia, and they found a lot of things and became successful. As a Zambian woman, how were you able to start if it was dominated by West African men? Well, I divorced my husband. But that's a story for another day. Um, no problem. We'll leave that. But before we move on to another topic, would you say that mining and trading is an informal economy? At least for the small-scale traders. Mining is regulated by the government. But many don't always pay taxes. Mining is so irregular that the government would have a hard time collecting taxes from the miners and traders. So the lockdown impacts the traders as well as their intended customers. Do you believe that the trade will be revived after the lockdown? Buyers need money to spend. This depends on how the government will help the economy. Right now, the government is up for re-election. They have to do something or will be kicked out of government. Hungry people don't like weak, idle governments. Then my last question I have for you in this interview is on a lighter note. What advice would you like to give to people during this unprecedented time? I would advise everyone to stay positive and think about the future. Everything is not certain right now. 
And people should try and look into other ways to survive. Zombians are smart and should never forget that. There's a popular saying in Zambia that goes, one Zambia, one nation. Created by our former president, Kenneth Kunda. This pandemic is affecting all of Zambia. And it will take all of Zambia to come back. And that brings us to the end of our interview today. Thank you, Kanise Coker, for helping us out today. All your work has been greatly appreciated. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. And thank you, Ms. Kutule, for providing us with your answers. Thank you to all the listeners and support from the International Studies Program for making this happen. Please continue to subscribe and watch the next episodes lined up for you. Thank you.